Action Park Media. All right, welcome to Victory the Podcast. I'm Doug Allen. Kevin Dillon. Kevin Connolly still saying our names after 814 episodes, yeah. if people don't That's know. That's what people do. So anyway, yes. there's so much happening at Action Park. We're going to have D.B. Sweeney and great actor. And, and, Long you know, Island guy. Long Island yeah. guy. Yeah. guy. And as much as we're going to find out. The only non-Long Island guy here. As much as we're going to find Oh, that's right. Sorry. I'm Westchester, where all the cool kids are. But D.B. knows you a long time. So as much as we want to yeah. find out about D.B., we might get to I was going to say, we might get a gem or two about Dylan. I'm sure you will. Dylan's buddies on here. But also, I feel pretty good. D.B. had an allergic reaction yesterday. He was shooting something and yeah. uh, you guys were going to record this without me. And today, uh, so was it, was it a reaction or you didn't want to do it without we, me? We, we really thought we could uh, not no, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to do one without <laughs> you to just really crush one. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I said, you know, yesterday I clearly was not at a hundred percent. Yeah. No, so I was not coughing. Uh, all no, no, it's, always, it's always great uh, having you, Doug. You're, thank you. You're, uh, we need Doug's our point guard. I, he's I our Aaron judge I, of the, well, uh, I don't know about that. It's <laughs> like, uh, he's our Jose Trevino. He's more of a Jose Trevino type. <laughs> so major stuff happening in action park media. All right, you know, yeah, let's let's talk about that right, first because so, I want to get to DB's reaction. So stock tip, stock tip. Who you know, we talked about this yesterday. Someone rudely said that stock tip brings nothing to the table, which is, is a <laughs> disgrace. And uh, he brings an occasional coffee. He shows up for you, Dylan. He just started getting it right, though. He usually <laughs> forgets the cream or the sugar, or he doesn't know the difference between sugar and Splenda. Okay, but yeah, these times no, the guy exactly. does not. Dylan dr- does not I'm like sugar. Splenda in his coffee. But stock tip brought a new excited. I'm more excited about. He brought a new show into the studio, so which is exciting. Yeah. But we've been well. We realize that we've been leaving money on the table by we have these lot. We have a lot of studio space. We got two studios. <laughs> And they're not always being used. So let's bring some people in. Yeah. Let's make some money. Okay, but I'm really excited about this because first of all, and I'm sorry, I, I don't I don't know her name, but she's from the ghetto. Of Switzerland, <laughs> we're all a little. Which, sounds like an oxymoron. Shocked? We, is that it, what that is? I had no idea what the race. Is that an oxymoron? Is that an oxymoron? I don't know. I, I don't want to sound ignorant because we sound like stupid Americans. Maybe there are places it's in a Switzerland. Small chalet. You get carjacked on your skis. I, I have can't no idea. Imagine it's. Compton. They give you Hershey's right? chocolate instead <laughs> of the good stuff. <laughs> That's DB, by the way. That's with the DB. Game. Not Dylan. That that. But what I was more excited about, and I, I may, I may ask her to come on the Ramblon podcast. Mindset is what her podcast is going to be about. And she looked at me for five seconds, said, I could fix you in 60 minutes. Well, like, yeah, good gonna, luck with that. It's going to be a five part episode for that one. You couldn't fix them in 60 episode. days. <laughs> I would love it. By the way, I would, I would put it in the 60 days. So that's coming. I would uh, love to see how she would even approach that. But can you imagine that? Yeah. Like, Doug, so take it from the beginning. Oh, my God. She has no idea what she's So it started with a movie called Kissing a Fool. <laughs> Long, Ever since uh, that. Long before that, my problem started. But we're going to get into DB in a second. But new names, Kevin Dillon, just for me, because I know some of the audience may Doug's not pitching care. baby I, names. I came up with the baby name for your girl, Tess. I, I mean, it is a nice name. It's I'm a not great gonna name. I've always nice loved the name, name Tess. I'm going to be Tessie, Tessa. Yeah. I'm just going to play it safe, and I'm not going to comment on names. Because what if you say you hate the name, and then you go with the name? You're on the record. You, you know, know what I mean? That's so the pile of entourage. That, that came from my friend. Record. Remember when you guys say you don't like his girlfriend? Wait, 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 say, wait, wait, wait. The deal is you have to come up with a name, right? Yeah. Didn't you say that, Doug? Yeah, he doesn't follow. For the next episode, people. we got to come up with a name. So now what he's going to throw something random. I, no, I said it. I, uh, yeah, I like Carter. By the way, I, Carter. Well, I said it. Jimmy I s- Carter. <laughs> I actually said Carter and Conley said that was well, on, that the, was on the list, on the list yeah. for Kennedy. I Carter, have a name, yeah. but I've already been shut down and I love it. And Eric Siegel, who's weirdly enough, one of my childhood friends was mentioned on the episode yesterday or last week. Um, 
He threw it out, and I like it. So are we going to say what it is? I'm going to say what it is. Lake. Okay, I, yeah, yeah. I already lost. Lake I already Ellen. lost. Sarah doesn't like it. Lake Ellen. I like Silence. it. DB likes it. I DB's like it. smart. He's playing it safe. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I don't hate it. I think <laughs> when, you got, when, you, when you have the second like syllable last better. name, you go with the f- with single syllable first name. I agree. Because uh, you don't want to call. Be, bop, 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 bop. By the way, can right. we introduce uh, DB yes. already? He's sitting right, right over here. Let's go. Okay, we're moving on. Right, here we Maybe go. I'll name the child DB. But anyway, DB Sweeney. I've been a longtime fan. Long uh, Island legend. Yes, yeah. Long my, Island. My legend. old buddy too. We go way back. You guys have done movies together or no? No. Wow. Just 12 packs. <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> we, say, we never worked together. We never and have. It's a travesty. You know and it's by movies, though. you mean a lot of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what they What's crazy is. is we almost did work together when, when we were shooting in the lot. What lot was that? Was uh, that Warner's. That was uh, Warner Warner's. Brothers, right? I was doing Two and a Half Men. You, you guys rolled by in the, uh, yeah. in the Continental. And, and they're Lincoln. Oh, that's and the, right. And then I was like, yo, DB. And then I, I brought you in to meet Doug. And Doug's like, all right, we got to figure out how to get you into this episode. What was and the movie? Wasn't it? Was it, it was, the movie? Yeah, it was the movie. I think it was the movie. Oh, oh my god! By yeah. the way, yeah. DB, we saved you from being in the ball. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, I was I was so flattered that you were just trying to figure out how to shoehorn it in on the fly. That was great. No, we would have loved a lot about the show and everything. Yeah. So DB's, if you pull up this guy's IMDb, it's a bit jarring. It's startling oh. how often this guy manages to work for as an actor. It's uh, yeah. it's impressive. Um, Fire in the Sky. That's a he's big one that everybody He's got does. more years than you and me, I believe. I believe, yeah. What was it, 83 you started? I started 83 on Broadway. was my first job. Kane Mutiny oh, wow. Court Martial with oh, wow. uh, Joe Namath and Michael Moriarty. Damn. Wow. You worked with Joe. How was Joe to work with? He was awesome. And uh, so I was in the show. We both were replacements, and I came in about two weeks before him. So every night at places, I'd be in the dark with Joe Namath and Michael Moriarty rambling about some conspiracy theory. And Joe Namath would be looking at me like, are you actors all this friggin' nutty? You know, and, and the answer is yes. yes. How did you get How did you get into acting? I, you know, I was a baseball player and I got injured and it was like, I hadn't really done anything else except cook in restaurants. And as a senior in high school, I did a play. It was like that high school musical thing where they roped in some of the jocks to be in the play. And it was fun, but it was like something you do as a senior. And then when I got hurt, I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? My knee was really messed up, and my dad was a guidance counselor at another high school in Long Island, Ward Melville High School. It's a rival high school of Patrick Medford. There it is. Uh, yes. And anyway, he said, look, you got to finish college, because if you don't, you'll you'll never go back. So I was at Tulane. Fresh out Gallon. So I was a, I hurt my knee riding a motorcycle. Freshmen weren't allowed to ride motorcycles. It was easy to make an example of me, so I was bounced. And then uh, my sister, my older sister was at NYU in French literature or something smart. And I just thought, well, I'll just go to NYU, like, like as if you could just do that. And they said, well, what do you, you know, as an actor, you had to audition. I said, okay, well, all right, what is that? And so I went and uh, learned a monologue. I, I took it out of the catcher in the rye uh, because Holden Caulfield's older brother's name is D.B., and he's uh, a writer who goes to Hollywood and becomes a prostitute writer, basically. So I thought that was... That's you know, my story. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's you, Doug. Yeah. DB stands for Doug. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's your middle name, yeah. Doug? So I get through, I get through the audition, and uh, you know, it was, it was about a guy talking about his baseball glove, so it wasn't that far away from something I knew. And they let me in, and then uh, they wouldn't... I could never get a part. Like, I'd go audition for these, you know, Shakespeare or something, and I was up against all the kids that had been, like, acting since they were five. You know, the Ben Afflecks and the... Matt Damon's that were never on a team, you know, right. they, were, they were just, <laughs> yeah. you know, acting since, you know, like travel acting, whatever that, you know, the equivalent of that in sports. And so I had no game. I couldn't compete. Um, so for a whole year, I didn't get a part. 
I went to a the, whole year. <laughs> you, you bastard. <laughs> well, you know, That's you're in school. It's you like, that, you right. know, it's this, a long stretch to go without work. Not even having right, a, but, I haven't you know, worked in like carrier. seven years. I was going to say, Doug's been out of work since. But if you can't get a part in a college play, the writing might be on the wall. Oh, you're talking about Right, 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 right. Yeah, He wasn't talking about like landing like a De Niro film. What was your big break? Not, not your big break, but what would you, I mean, cause man, you, you've started in some big, big movies. So what, what got you? It was really Francis Coppola, who I'm actually working with again now in this movie, Mega. After 35 years, Fred wow. Roos, his casting director, who did The Godfather, he, The Outsiders, he discovered everybody. He met me on this movie called Seven Minutes in Heaven, which was about two young girls discovered Jennifer Connelly. It's her first movie. Oh, wow. wow. And, I saw that. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So anyway, wow. so, so Fred brings me in to meet the woman who's directing it and says, you know, it was like three scenes of a, like, a professional baseball player has an affair with one of these girls and it's forbidden fruit, all that stuff. It's crap. But anyway, Fred was like, you got to put DB in it. And the woman wouldn't do it. So Fred tells the story that he was like, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. This guy's going to be a star. So three months later, he brings me in to meet Francis Coppola on Gardens of Stone. And I audition. I call back. I audition again. And, uh, and I got it. And so Fred loves to tell that story, how you don't wow. go against him when he tells you who the person is. Wow. That's wild. With the great James Caan. With the God great James Caan. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Big how was working with yeah. Francis? Intense? It was right. very intense. It was, uh, you know, it was a terrible, tragic situation because his son was killed in a boating accident over the weekend what? during right. our filming. Oh, was that during that? Yeah. I did not know that. So, yeah. And the, most of the movies filmed in Arlington Cemetery, so imagine how somber that whole situation Jesus. was. Yeah. It, it was like a, a barge, and there was a line, right? Yeah, yeah. Griffin O'Neill was out of control driving the boat. And going really fast. They between. didn't see the line connecting the barge with the boat, and it, they... Right. Uh, Griffin really? saw it at the last second and ducked, and it hit Gio, and, and uh, he was killed. And, God, just to what a and he was the only one killed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when that How, how could I time. not heard that story? That's, that's horrible. It's terrible. And, wow. and yeah. So I thought the movie would be over and we'd go home, but, you know, Francis didn't want to go home to Napa and have to deal with, you know, he was like, yeah. let's the show, not the show must go on, but like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's a good way to. You know, well, I mean, that's Francis on Apocalypse Now when Martin had his, Martin Sheen had his heart attack. Right. Francis is like, I'll put a stick up his ass and prop him <laughs> yeah. up. And we're, we're finishing in this movie. I think he's, I mean, the guy's always put everything on the line for it. And, and maybe that was a distraction. For well, that's anyway, what I'm saying. So. At some points when you're in something like that, putting yourself to work might be a good, yeah, Bad good distraction. Nothing else. Good yeah. distraction. Conley and I used to talk about this after. Uh, who was it? When did they stop working? When uh, was it? Joaquin? Who what? was it? Oh, uh, you know? oh yeah. Doug. Doug was. Doug. There's a story that Doug. <laughs> we're on the set one day, and you know, there was when when Heath Ledger passed. Whatever movie Gyllenhaal was on, they they stopped production on that day because Jake didn't you know didn't want to work. <laughs> and Doug looks at me. And by the way, I didn't ask him. Doug offers this up to me. He says. Uh, Listen, Conley. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I love you, dude. And uh, dare I say that you and I are closer than Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. But honestly, I don't know that I would stop shooting <laughs> if something happened to you. I was like, well, okay. Uh, seeing as how I didn't ask what you would do, uh, but that is good to know. And you know what, Doug? I don't think I'd stop shooting either. I think I'd play through the rest of the day. Now, but, we um, did not have a love scene ever, but if we did, right, maybe. Right, but right. I mean, well, I mean, it's even tougher if you got to go in and do comedy, you know? Yeah. That's you're true. Just, that's true. No, you're it's, in a horrible place, you know? Everybody's different. So you would stop working if something happened to Conley. Well, I actually lost my best friend. I was doing a movie uh, in New Zealand called The Rescue, and I found out my good buddy, Gary Lemoyne, God bless his soul, he passed. And uh, I wanted to go home. I wanted to be, you know, my best buddy passed, and they were like, you can't. You're in the, you're the lead in this you movie. You cannot right. leave. Yeah. I mean, you want to be at the funeral, of course. And stuff, yeah. But well, it's also a long way, long way to go to New yeah. Zealand, back yeah. to New York. But. 
DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. It's my go-to in betting on the NFL this holiday season. I love some of the same gay parlays. The payouts are fast. The player prop options. It's great. Right now, new customers can get $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. These are fun. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals and more the more legs you add the bigger the boost the bigger your shot to win big right so you can you can do the dolphins to the over but you can also do dolphins to the over and two are throwing x amount of touchdowns download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use the promo code victory pod place a five dollar bet on any nfl team to win their game and get 150 dollars in free bets if they do only at DraftKings sportsbook with code victory pod minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply See show notes for details. Weird transition to hockey. You're a hockey fan growing up. How do you, and you're good at hockey, you skate cutting edge. Tell me, tell me, tell me about yeah. that. Grow up a Rangers fan, which is an anomaly yeah. from, uh, yeah, baby. from uh, Go Suffolk Rangers. County. I know. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I just always loved the Rangers. I loved, you know, John Davidson and oh. uh, Roger Ron Bear and all those guys. You liked his hair, huh? <laughs> well, you know, he had a pretty good kill sheet, apparently. Uh, you, know, you go through all the entire, all the roster of 70s and 80s Carol actresses. Waltz. I think Carol you, we were um, hanging out with Chris Chelios uh, Saturday. Saturday, yeah. And I had a great time by uh, by the beach, the beach house, played a little backgammon. And while we were talking to Chris, he got um, – Chris is one of the Ty great Domi. hockey players. Ty Domi. Do you I remember know Ty, Ty Domi? I know Ty a little bit, yeah. He got Ty Domi on a FaceTime. It was, it was like, awesome. hey, what's up, Ty? Ty Domi somehow knows Scott Lavin. I have no idea how, but wow. I've, I've hung out with him a he couple was, times. He was so, so tough, The best man. thing about Saturday animal. was uh, Kevin doesn't want to come empty-handed, you know, to we're going to drink some beer at the beach or whatever. <laughs> so he shows up with some foie gras from France. You got to say foie gras. Foie gras. Like, listen, I didn't get any beers, but I got foie gras, but, but you cannot get Instead of, like, bringing, like, a baguette or some fancy crackers, <laughs> he brings Ritz crackers. Ritz crackers. It was perfect. He didn't even know I had the foie gras inside the box. I thought he said, hey, I didn't. Come up! I didn't come empty-handed. I show a box box of Rich Cracker. He's like, "Oh my god!" I gotta tell you, you are such a shanty this Irish is guy. One of the most bizarre things I've ever heard. Dylan shows up at, at a at a tough guy hockey players party with foie gras and Ritz crackers. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. that's, listen, that only awesome. Kevin anybody hey, can walk in with a twelve pack of cords. Like, not everybody can show up with some foie gras. Exactly. Now, I, don't cool. I don't show up empty-handed though. How, I did never you just do. get I it? Was it up. fresh? I mean, uh, I had it in my closet. So I was like, <laughs> "What am I gonna closet. do?" What am I going to do? Because I don't stop now because I live in Lake Sherwood. There's nothing on the way to Chelios' yeah. house. So I had to grab something from the closet, and it was still fresh. It was in the can. It was in the can, and I got it in France when I was in France. Oh, so God. It's, That's uh, where he keeps it cool. It was like, great. It was truffle foie gras. It was really good. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right? I mean, TV. It, it was, was great. great. We crushed the whole can. We I mean, did, was, man. So it did. The foie gras went. It was good. Oh, it was good. It was like, you know what, Dylan? Thank you, bro. I appreciate the foie gras. It's illegal in the state, so if you can't <laughs> even find foie gras. I mean, it's a it's a specialty around here in California. You are a fucking specialty. Ridiculous. All right, but let's get let's get back. So how how are you good enough at hockey in Suffolk County? You're just an all around athlete. Baseball. I wasn't hockey. a hockey player at all. I just uh, they came to me on that cutting. I was one of those few times where they're like, "We want you to do it," and and can you skate? And I was like, "No, I can't." And they said, "Well." We'll give you three months. Would uh, would you be willing to try to learn? And I said, yeah, sure. So 
I was living in Manhattan, and Moira Kelly from Lake Ronkonkoma. She's also great. from Long Island. Yeah. Two Long Islanders. Tremendous. I had a crush on her. She oh, was she's so amazing. Hot. What a good actress. Oh, great yeah. person. And great so, movie. Oh, yeah. So she's so anyway, they give us three months. And MGM rents out Skyrink, which was on Ninth Avenue and like 48th Street. It's on the sixth floor. It's now Chelsea Piers calls it Skyrink. But yeah, there was yeah. an original Skyrink up in the air. Like you take an elevator up to the rink. It was oh, crazy. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they rented it out. So it would be the coaches, me and Moira. And we're, she didn't know how to skate either. So we're starting from scratch. So uh, there was a sign. Like, and the hockey skates are more comfortable than the figure skates. And I'm breaking them both in. It just sucks. It's like really painful. And you don't want to be bad at something as long as I had to be bad at it. So... There's a sign up there that says, like, the early morning first hour and a half is figure skating time, and the next hour and a half is open hockey. The sign said, during figure skating time, there's no hockey skates on the ice. So I had my hockey skates on, and Moira goes, hey, you can't have those on. <laughs> and I was like, and I understood the whole movie. I was like, I'm going to wear my hockey skates every single time. Oh, so you got that to and, change and that. So it was like, yeah, I was like, but it, it irked her. It was like, and so we had a scene in the movie where she wants me to button my shirt, and I'm like, if it meant yeah, that, that was great. you know, so that, that whole scene, I was like, oh, I get the relationship now. Wait, they did really, your character not have figure skate? You had hockey. Yeah, he's a hockey on. player. I know that. Figure skate, I know that. Right? But did your character? Yeah. So throughout the whole movie? Well, anytime you saw my feet, it was a lot of times it would be the double, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. so uh, I was like, when I was skating and little things and I figured I knew how movies were put together by then. So I practiced really hard on uh, the first step and the last step, like stops. Cause you know, yeah. you're going to skate in, stop, talk, yeah. or you're going to da 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 you go f yourself, skate yeah, yeah. away. Right. So I thought if I how get, good did you get? Can you do a triple? I, I, honestly, I'm I'm shocked to hear that this is how it went. I thought for sure he had some kind of background in hockey. Yeah. The fact that you even skated at all, but that makes sense. You skate in, you got to work on your last step and your first step. Yeah. So yeah. your jump and then your you know right. Wow. And, and Moira broke her leg in the first week of filming, no so way. I ended up doing a lot landing a jump. That's how good she got. Wow. And uh, and so they end up leaning on me what? a little more than and they had to. Broke her leg. <clears throat> broke her leg right above the boot. Landing like a wow. single axle jump, which is like, you know, if you're an 11 year old figure skater, you're doing a single axle. But yeah, for but a grown still, woman, yeah, after that's three never months, skated before. I mean, it was amazing what she had accomplished. And, wow. and uh, so her double, Sharon Cars, looked exactly like her, you know, from like 80% of angles. Right. Yeah. So there's scenes like where it's me and Sharon Cars, and it's like, and, and if you have a, uh, if you're the dude in the back and the girl in front of you is a pro, you just kind of like lean on her and imitate her steps. And it makes you a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Right, it's yeah. a dance partner. Yeah. Basically, right? Somebody, yeah, they're leading you. So if you just imitate them, and my leg is longer, so I don't have to be as athletic or skilled to imitate her step. Wow. That's so a, that's it was crazy. really fun. That's crazy. But you're a good hockey player now, right? I, I mean, would you've say been good. I had a period where, you know, at the 10 years after the movie, when I got out there, I could fly around pretty good, but I had no hands. So I just yeah. would run into people. <laughs> and uh, you, you were a goon, basically. Yeah. And, and, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. is a good buddy of mine. We good hockey a, player. Yeah. yeah good. Yeah, we started playing hockey guy. at the same time. And we both, he's a great athlete. I mean, that guy could dance. He could do everything. And yeah. so anyway, uh, we started out around the same time and we get frustrated because we couldn't really score goals. So we made a deal where we played in these celebrity deals or whatever that you're allowed to drill me and I'm allowed to drill you as long as we have the puck. Open season, just like real hockey. So one to time- you To have your moment at the just, tournament. Yeah, just right. so that we could you know, be doing something. Right. Wow. So at Madison Square Garden during the Christopher Reeve hockey game, it's the greatest hit of all time. Cuba's on the bench giving an interview to- uh, I don't know, Sam Rosen or somebody. And he goes, oh, DB's out there. I got to go get him. 
15,000 people. This interview's on the scoreboard. <laughs> he jumps he's, out he's of the He's out there. I gotta go get him. He jumps over the bench and he skates. I have the puck in the corner. I'm mishandling, I'm sure. And he comes flying in and pancakes me. Oh, my God. It's a friggin' God. yard sale. And it was, but it's a great. Is that too after, many men on the ice? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you gotta get well, No, it was his change. It was his change, okay. legal change, but okay. it was like, it was better than Babe Ruth called shot. I mean, he like. <laughs> he flattened you on the scoreboard oh, in the interview. It was amazing. And I'm sure they panned over to catch it. Right? Oh, it was great. I mean, <laughs> trying to track that down. Maybe cut that into a social club. Yeah, that'd be good. It was, I had so much respect. For Cuba after that, I mean, I yeah. liked him to begin with, but I thought that's just epic. Hey, he's a gamer. Was this a, a, was this like Bruckheimer's hockey game? That, that you was play no. On? Christopher Reeve had a foundation, and every year they do a charity game at Madison Square Garden to raise money, you know, for paralysis uh, research. And yeah. but they would sell the barn out. I mean, it was crazy. You know, Boomer Esiason would be there, and everybody who's like a Ranger fan that had skates would be but out. But you there. did Bruckheimer's as well too. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that for many years. Yeah. We'd go to Vegas and have this crazy tournament. And uh, that, did that kind of fizzle out the Bruckheimer tournament? Uh, yeah, I think it kind of just kind of came to its like the end of its logical life. We did it for about fifteen or seventeen years, uh, I think, oh, every wow. year. Kissing of fool producers: Tog Mandillo and Andrew Form. There you go. Right. There he goes again. I'm just kissing telling you. The fool. They, they were in that game. There's, there's connective tissue game. everywhere. Connective <laughs> tissue everywhere. All right. So uh, also eight men out. Right. Tell me that because you know I would, I was at the final call for eight men out. No. Yeah. Yeah. I. I in fact. I thought it was a job that I was going to get. And that's John Sales, right? Yes, I sir. Mean, yeah, right. I mean, that's one of my favorite directors. So, wait, wait. First, first of all, was that before Fire in the Sky or yeah, after? Yeah, before, before. Okay, Eight Men Out. So right. Eight Men okay, Out great. was uh, John Sales, yeah, right? Yeah, and that's a and movie everyone should check out. Every, and it's about the 1929 uh, White Black Sox. Sox. They called Black them. Sox because yeah. they threw the World 1919. Series. 1919. 1919, excuse yeah. me, sorry. And um, and they threw the World Series, and it was it's a great movie. And uh, who, who did you, who else? I played Shoeless Joe Jackson. Cusack played Buck Weaver. We had David Strathairn. Aaron, Christopher Lloyd, um, Studs Terkel, which was a big thrill for me, you know, Chicago writer, and uh, John Sales was in it. Um, we also had Michael Rooker. Uh, it was just Love a great Michael cast. Rooker. Great. Want to know what my line was? Say it ain't so, Joe. I was the same. <laughs> oh wow! You would. Well, you I, by the way, I got robbed. I think I choked. You would have been better. I think I Who choked. Was that your only know. line? No, it was. It was like. A, it, but it was a. It was a. Obviously, a. It was a big it moment. Was a big moment in the movie where a kid is heartbroken. You would have been saying that, that to DB. I would have been saying that yeah. to DB, yeah. and I, I choked on the final. And call. You would have been a sixteen-year-old playing uh, no, a nine-year-old. No. Right? What, what year was that? Eighty-eight. <laughs> Eighty-eight. So I would have been 89? a fourteen-year-old kid playing a nine-year-old. Yeah. 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 I definitely. Say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. You can still what play a, that part. What a, great, what a great movie. Oh, it was so that. much fun to uh, be in that movie. I got to tell you Charlie Sheen's story about that movie, right? Yeah. So so I did a movie called No Man's Land with Charlie Sheen. Um, and I fin- we finished that movie. We had a lot of fun together. And during the filming, Charlie went from like Martin Sheen's kid to like the cover of Time Magazine. Like <laughs> right. it was like the whole ascent, like a rocket ship. And anyway, so he goes off to do. Uh, and the reason was because the studio Orion had picked up Platoon. And uh, Mike Medavoy, to his credit, said, this movie's going to be huge. Charlie Sheen's going to be a big star. So he slammed him in the, the next movie that was filming with Orion, which was this movie with me. So it was me and Charlie. And it was great. We became good friends. He talked about baseball a lot. He goes off to do Wall Street in New York, where I was living. And I'm trying to learn how to hit left-handed because I, I'm a right-handed hitter. And I am thought, oh my nobody's God. ever been a believable baseball player in a movie. And I thought, here's my chance to be the first guy. So I spent six months and John Sales calls me during that period. He says, hey, can you, we need a couple more guys. Can you get any of your Hollywood friends who are known? So I meet Charlie at McSorley's Ale House when he's doing oh, love Wall Street. Oh, yeah. And he's got, there's a couple people there. And I said, uh, I said, hey, Charlie, we got to do this baseball movie when you get done with this. It's in Indianapolis. There's no money, but we'll be in the World Series together. I'll be the left fielder. You'll be the center fielder. 
But I didn't tell him that he was Joe Blow and I was Shoeless Joe Jackson. <laughs> Shoeless Joe. <laughs> so Charlie never read the script. He shows up in Indianapolis. I see him the first night he gets there. He's got his baseball hat. He's got a dart. He's reading the script. And I walk in. <laughs> That's a cigarette, by yes. the way. Yeah. And, he goes, and he goes, Dave, Dave, I'm on page 46. Where's my park? I don't have any lines. <laughs> you sound like him, dude. <laughs> but he never left. He stayed there and made the movie. It was great. And they the wrote last him. time he didn't read yeah. a script. I mean, did yeah, he like, find some lines in there? They put I mean, a scene I, in I, for I him. I feel they, like I remember. Yeah, he's no. a presence. Yeah. He's one of the eight guys, yeah. but you know, he's he's, he's not, one of the eight men out, but yeah. he had a bigger role than me <laughs> and a smaller role than DB. Well, you know, yeah. Charlie's Charlie's a, he he lives up to his word though. He does. He did. I know? thought yeah. I would have probably left if I was yeah. him, but he stayed there and you know, he's we had a great time. Now, do you know when you're making that movie that it's going to be what it was? I mean, who what had John Sales done before? Eight I Man mean, out? he was considered like one of the great independent right? writer directors, yeah. Yeah, so. he did Mate One, which was really good. Yeah, and, I mean, that was Oscar nominated and he did uh, City of uh what the I, I love Return John of the Secaucus Seven was kind of the one that put him on the map, but you know he was a great writer and and everybody wanted to be in that movie. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So it was a job to get in a movie to be in. And the Absolutely. story of the Black Sox is so uh, well known too. You know that that's going to be very interesting. And this is before Field of Dreams, I think, right? It I mean, did, it yeah. did. Which is I, it's one of the stupidest thing I've ever done. They asked me to play Shoeless Joe Jackson at Field of Dreams. They actually wore wow. our uniforms from the movie. So Ray Liotta and, ended up playing that, but. Yeah, and yeah. God bless Ray. What a great actor. Yeah, and, uh, another, but but I just, I was so stupid. You know, I'd been a college baseball player. I'd been in three movies. Now my fourth movie is going to be my second baseball movie and my second one playing Shoeless Joe Jackson. I'm like, they're only going to think I can play Southern baseball players. Guys, our favorite food coma holiday is coming up, and you want to be sure you don't mess up that centerpiece turkey. We found the perfect tool to make sure your food comes out perfectly juicy, not that overcooked bird that needs to be drenched in gravy. Dylan often drenches his birds in gravy. Meter is a sleek Bluetooth meat thermometer that keeps an eye on your food and lets you know when it's ready to come out of the oven or off the grill. It'll give you a countdown for the cook so you can keep watching the big game while Meter watches your food. Spend the time with your loved ones. Kick back with your crew. Have a beer and nail that Thanksgiving bird. Super simple, super easy, and perfect results. I can tell you a sad story about my Thanksgiving. 20 people coming over. The bird was horrible. They all left. It was embarrassing, humiliating. That will not happen with the meter Bluetooth meat thermometer that keeps an eye on your food and lets you know when it's ready to come out of the oven or off the grill. It can be used in a grill, smoker, oven, sous vide, cooking in a fryer, rotisserie, literally anywhere. You can use it in your car if you can get it hot enough. It comes with cloud service. You can have limitless range so you can still monitor the cook while watching TV, running to the store, or playing pickleball. Monitor your turkey, steaks, prime ribs, and chicken in the app so this way you can relax and pretend you're doing a whole lot more. This is perfect cooking tool for your holiday cooking. Get a free pair of heat-proof gloves with any meter purchase. Go to meter.com, add the barbecue oven mitts to your meter purchase, and use Victory at checkout. Thanksgiving is coming up. Cook your meal to perfection and get your free cooking gloves at M-E-A-T-E-R com with code victory go to meter.com and add your barbecue oven mitts to your meter purchase and use code victory at checkout you know it's interesting because i know i listened to costner was talking about because he just did um bull durham and field of dreams at the same pretty much at the same time yeah and, and he, you know, he, he did it for whatever reason. He decided he could do, yeah. you know, do two baseball movies at the same time. But there, you, you can't argue when you you do have to think about it for a second. Yeah, I mean, we're actors. Yeah, we're so stupid. You, know, like, you're like, you oh, overthink yeah. everything. Like, Rob, like, you're not because you might have been right. Also, yeah, you know, there's yeah. that place. Like, what? what it could have been that. Oh my god. Okay, he's only going to yeah. play. You know, left left hitting baseball player. And DB, tell tell us for people that are listening. What what's the 
in a nutshell, the nineteen nineteen story of the of the Chicago White Sox, aka the Chicago Black Sox. Problem is, anytime I do a lot of research as an actor, you always find you get in trouble if if what you find goes against what the story is, and so. The story of Shoeless Joe Jackson is much more layered and complex than it is in this movie. In the movie, uh, Charles Comiskey, the owner of the White Sox, is a cheapskate. All the players are underpaid. He cheats them out of their bonuses. And they're like the 1927 Yankees. They're one of the greatest teams of all time. So they make a deal with the gamblers. You know what? We're going to make some money by losing World Series games on purpose. And then the gamblers uh, go back on their word. They don't get paid. And then the players try to win. And to enforce the Throne World Series, the gamblers end up threatening the wife of one of the pitchers. So that's basically the story of the movie. But the the real story is that at that period of baseball, Ty Cobb was throwing games. Everybody was throwing games. Like if you had a four-game series, the first two games would be arranged, and then the last two games would be competitive. Is that true? Yeah. it's just. And also, you got to remember, you know, these guys are winning the World Series Hall of Famers who are going and having jobs in the wintertime because they don't get paid any money, you know? And now we go, why would anyone throw a game when they make $100 million to play baseball? But when you're making, you know, less money than some of the people in the stands, you know, that was it was a very different time. Well, it's a problem. Yeah, Yeah. it's a problem. It's kind of like college athletics now. You look at those all those point-shaving scandals, and you go, you know what? They should have been because they couldn't even afford to eat, you know, yeah. and uh, well, remember the Super Bowl, Manny Ramirez, the center for Peyton Manning. He he obviously got paid. Remember, he snapped the ball out of the end zone for the first play of the game. Was it made oh, it against, uh, against against Seattle? Yeah, right? and so the, the safety on the first safety play on the, the game? Fa- safety as the first score was like one hundred and twenty five to one. Is that like a, that's like a conspiracy theory or they I mean, to me, it's pretty much <laughs> I, I, I'm, way, I'm, I'm laying I, it on the table right now. I've heard I'm saying, far bigger conspiracies. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a no brainer to no, me. Yeah, I mean, why not? easy, right? But nobody but ever talked about ever, it. No one ever accused no. him though, right? No, nobody ever accused him. But I thought know, we had a big point shaving scandal at Tulane. Yeah. Is that yeah. Hot Rod there? Williams, yeah, right? Hot Rod Williams yeah. and my brother's fraternity. Which right. Was, what? Getting cat hair off you. Yeah. Cat <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that whole thing with that safety was like, remember that was a year when Peyton Manning was so dominant and he would always be like, he would use the entire clock and he'd be like, Omaha, Omaha. And he'd go up and he'd yeah. walk up and yeah. down the line. Yeah. The guy snapped the ball on the first play of the game on the two yard line with 18 seconds on so the you clock. lost a lot of Peyton money. Manning was nowhere I didn't, near. No, I didn't take it that year. <laughs> yeah. I usually, I usually take defensive t- uh, touchdown. Yeah. This was, this was yeah. the, the Seahawks win with Russell, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So, so, so you, I, I know what you're saying, right? You start digging around, researching your role for the movie of of uh, Eight, Men, Eight out. Men Out, and then you go like, "He's not as honest as well, everyone thought." Uh, no, man. I mean, I think right. I think that yeah. it, it's a, just a little guessing. more. It wasn't just so black and white. Because in the movie, the Shoeless Joe won't do it. He's the honest guy. Yeah. Well, that's Cusack more, and then Shoeless Joe is uh, is kind of in the gray area. But the reality is, well, he had ev- a big series. Right? He had a big series. Everybody says, you know, he had three seventy five. He had twelve hits, which was the record until nineteen sixty. Bobby Richardson. Although 1919 is the only World Series that was five out of nine because they didn't have it the year before, so there was so much demand. They made it five out of nine. Anyway, so when you go through, when you really dig into the box scores of where Shoeless Joe got it, he had one home run and he had like uh, just a couple RBIs, all in blowouts. Like every time he came up in a key situation, he didn't deliver. Right. And so 375 sounds impressive, but, you know, look Mm -hmm. at Bernie Williams. He had World Series where he hit 550 and, you know, I mean, he's a good one. Right, right. Oh, that's interesting. So he he was on the take. He was on the take. Wow. And and he should have been. I don't know. And they're like, shut up. Stop talking about this. You're going to be the honest guy. Yeah. On a a side note. The producer said You see Yasiel Puig is going to jail for five years. Did you see that? Yasiel Puig. For what? He made 899 bets confirmed. 899 (laughs) bets. Oh, my God. He's he's running an illegal gambling. And he was probably, I mean, he was making millions and millions of dollars. It's different than uh, Bobby Nystrom and Clark Gillies making 60 grand a year for the New York Islanders. He he wasn't doing it while he was playing, though. 
right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. man. Yeah. So that's like a those stories a are so Pete crazy. Rose kind of Remember the Ram? Well, no, the, but it's not Pete Rose because it's it's Pete Rose could change the outcome of the game. You know, yeah. I mean, no, he was actually. I think he was taking bets. Yasiel Puig. He, yeah, he had like a gambling yeah, he's a ring, bookie. as opposed yeah. to just an addicted gambler or anything right. like that. You know, right? Yeah. What do you think about Pete Rose? Well, I mean, the Hall of Fame is so complicated. It, the whole discussion, Shoeless Joe Jackson is one of the five greatest hitters of all time, uh, hands down, in any calculation. And so if it's about what you do on the field, he's got to be in there. Uh, Pete Rose, in my opinion, is not one of the greatest players of all time. I think he's one of the most durable players of all time, and he was uh, he's an accumulator. You know, little, There's a couple of pitchers in the Hall of Fame with 300 wins who were never <laughs> the best pitcher in the league. You know, Don Sutton, and you know, there's a couple of guys in there where you get to certain landmarks, and of course, 4,400 hits is ridiculous. ridiculous. I mean, he's still, nobody's even close. Nobody will ever get near. <laughs> no, so, I mean, I, I think that's, that's got to put him as one of the all-time greats, though, no? Yeah. What, what was his lifetime batting? Two seventy five, two seventy six. Yeah, I mean, he's not. He was never. He was never. He was a great gamer. He was a great competitor. But you know, played a long he time. Was tough, he, played man. a long time. He was tough. Played a long time. The thing I, I always said about about Pete Rose and uh, here's my uh, look. I think all Bonds, Clemens. I think they should all be in the Hall of Fame. The thing about Pete Rose, well, he never bet on his own team to lose. The bottom line is, when you bet that heavy, and then one day you don't bet. The bookies go, They know he's not betting because he doesn't think his team is going to win. So let's go against him. He moved the line by not betting. Right. So that's where you, that's where it's yeah. where yeah, it's and you also you, look, you want to you want to keep the integrity of the sport because, you know, if you got that much money on a game, it may affect you. Whether yeah, you no, think I, you're, you're going to try agree. harder, he should know? get in trouble for that. But yeah. I don't know if they should still keep him out forever. There's, been, there's, there's worse people in the in these Hall of Fame for sure. Yeah. Pete Rose. And, yeah. uh, I mean, they should have a rogues gallery. That's what I've always said is that put the guys that are tainted Clemens and Barry Bonds and she was Joe and a Rod. Yeah. And guys. Who, and it's just it'd be the most yeah. popular way. It would be the first wing that yeah. I would go with. The, the <laughs> rogues gallery the rogue, or something. The well, dark gallery. Asterisk. It's like going to the dark net. Or yeah, by the way, the Doug spends about, a little time in that dark net. They're not even talking about the personalities. I, I mean, the there's web. fucking racists <laughs> the and, yeah. and domestic abusers. I mean, I don't know. I think it should be like you just said. Should be on the field and just on a side will end on baseball. Don Mattingly should be in the goddamn hole. Is Don Mattingly not oh, in the hole? He should be. No, I don't even know. Hey, but just it. real quick, though, you got really good. I remember you were telling me you got good as a lefty, right? Yeah, I discovered that I actually should have been a lefty my whole life because... I'm right. You know, guys know how to do dominant eye. Like, so I'm right eye dominant. Yeah, you, you, yep. you put your, uh, a you circle. make a circle and you have both eyes open and you, and you put an object like the coffee cup in the thing. And then you close both eyes and the eye that it remains, the object remains in the center. That's your dominant eye. Yeah. Wow. So yep. I never knew that. I have to try this. And so if you're, if you're a, a right-hand hitter, I'm right you should eye be dominant. left eye dominant. Yeah. And if you're, uh, you know, right eye, you know, so it switches because right. you want your front eye to be your dominant oh, eye. I'm, so, uh, maybe I should be a lefty too. Then. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. why you never made the baseball team and had to join band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. I was making movies, dude. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So All you're right. doing so, big wheel commercials. So then, <laughs> well, this is the, the, uh, not the obvious one too. So fire in the sky. When does fire in the sky come along? This is uh, like 94. Yeah. Wow, By the really? way, I auditioned for that one. Did you? I had a couple callbacks. Dylan well. was close. Many, on, many callbacks. You were close on the many wild movies. card. Who was the guy that was like sort of the wild, uh, the wild Craig Sheffer. Craig Sheffer. Uh, yes. Yeah, I've done three guy. moves with Craig. He's yeah. a great guy. What happened yeah. to Craig Sheffer? I don't know. Like he beat he, out Dylan and fire in the sky. That's for sure. <laughs> he did. Wherever he is, I'm sure it's interesting. He's a <laughs> He's good an guy. Interesting guy. Yeah, I like Craig. Yeah. Um, Fire in the Sky came about in such a stupid way. Again, like I'm an idiot actor. I I really wanted to be Spider Man. And at that time, James Cameron had the rights to Spider-Man. And I knew Industrial wow. Light and Magic did all his effects and everything. So Fire in the Sky came along. They said, hey, this is going to be a really hard shoot. You're going to have to be on wires for like four weeks. 
And I was like, oh man, maybe James Cameron will hear how so good I am on the wires. This guy is limber. <laughs> Let's get him in a Spider-Man suit. As if that's, as if that's, that's the amazing. way they, but that was literally why I got interested. Oh, wait, it's why? not a terrible thought process. But why did you want to be Spider-Man back then when it didn't, I, the, the comic book movies were not like the exciting thing. Then but it was going to be the first one. It was going to be, that, it was, everybody was always talking about this, someday it'll be. Is like, No, no, but I remember this, this is like, like the, the 10 first, years before they ever did it. This is the first time that like you'd heard about it and it was. I mean, think about it. James Cameron and Spider-Man. Yeah, it's like, I was totally changed. Toby was the first Spider-Man. Toby was the first Spider-Man, but there was, Cameron was kicking it around in the early 90s. So this is how, like, if you're from Long Island, you think the best way to get a movie is to impress the technicians with the wires (laughs) instead of, like, having dinner with Jerry Bruckheimer or something. (laughs) I mean... You know, so anyway, that's my story. Stick so what did you do? You Fire got up, you hooked up to wires and started. Yeah, no, no, I just knew that that was going to be a bit like that. There's an 11 yeah. minute sequence in that movie that took us four weeks to shoot, and I was on the wires 12 hours a day. Like I did every single shot in that sequence, and it was really fun, but it was hard work. I mean, because uh, they did something so smart, which makes it where you can't really tell that it's fake. They built the set upside down, and then they turned the camera upside down, Jesus. and then they hung me from the ceiling. So you couldn't really tell. Usually when somebody's flying around, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, he's got wires on his hips. You know, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't yeah. really detect it as well. So and everybody t- knows we're talking about Fire in the Sky, which is the Travis Scott. Travis Walton. Travis Walton. Travis Scott. Jesus. Travis Walton, <laughs> who is, it's one of the most credible uh, UFO abduction cases. You are in, being in, beamed in up to the, uh, to the flying saucer or whatever at that stage, right? Yeah. They, was, yeah. He, inside yeah. the flying saucer, like, yeah. you know, they, they have like this medical research facility on the mothership or something. And. They do experiments on humans. That's the oh yeah that probe. premise did, of the movie. Did you get probed? <laughs> a little anal probe? <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> Dylan. By the way, there's no epi- there's no episode that we've done out of 200 that Dylan doesn't hit. Why anal are aliens somewhere. such pervs? People are going to be, gets, gonna be waiting for it. Everyone who gets abducted always Dylan, gets uh, like an alien. Dylan refused probe. to read when he realized that he wasn't really going to get anal probed. <laughs> I'm he out. He likes to do so, pra- he likes to do it practical. I need to be probed. <laughs> Dave, I got a couple of questions about this because we we did an episode of Entourage where uh, with Vince, you know, where he was doing Aquaman, had to get on the wires. So is it, when you say it was fun, is it fun being on wires for four weeks and trying to act? No. No. It's really hard work. It's really hard work. But you know, it's if you know it's going to be cool, you get through it. But it was like, it was definitely, I was sore. I had, my hips for like a year were never the same because you had to arch your back and all the way to your body is right through your hips. And also aside from that, I mean, is... Is acting? Do you feel like you're you're really able to perform at your best, or you kind of like, does this look good, or am I I, I got to trust everybody? Well, this is just one sequence where he's getting beamed up. Yeah, but right? it's eleven minutes of the movie. No, it's right. eleven minutes of weightlessness. So, right. so the whole thing took four weeks. You know, five days a week and uh, four weeks to shoot that. Sequence. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna that, watch those are the tonight. days, bro. Those oh, days man. directed Over. the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob Lieberman did yeah. a great job, and yeah. uh, but yeah. it was you know they, they didn't have enough money for the rest of the movie because like uh, <laughs> they spent it all on the wire. They spent it all on this eleven minutes. You know, and they could have used another. The f- you know, few million for the but Peter Berg was in the movie and Robert Patrick and James Garner. Oh, so I mean, it's it was, a great movie. It was and I a think, real I, lot think of fun. I, I also think it holds up and it's an incredible story. But just because you guys are smarter than me, so the shot <laughs> you got is, that right. The shot they turn they turn the setups. Explain they, that to they me. They build the set upside down. So like the the, the the spaceship. The spaceship is built upside down. Upside down. So, so the spaceship's on the floor. Yeah. Well, the roof of the spaceship is on the floor. Okay. And then the bottom and on the top. And then they turn the camera upside down. But the wires that are hanging me up are still from the ceiling, and then they they hang me up facing my face to the ceiling. Okay. So it just disorients your your sense I'm of where. I'm disoriented right now. I'm yeah. still trying to figure it out, but that's, yeah. that's smarter than me. Dylan's right? still thinking about anal probes. So, <laughs> because, oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah. there's the famous story from Close Encounters. Close Encounters. Spielberg took the picture off of Mulholland of the Valley, and 
flipped the photo upside down, and that became the bottom of the ship oh. for Close Encounters and Third Kind. So yeah. nowadays, they would just go, just, they yeah, would just totally. do it that a, a true, totally right? different way. Yeah, yeah, that Connelly is true. comes out with a lot of things. He, I like he, These guys don't believe me. But some of them are wrong. He said Al Pacino was now, in Dustin Star Hoffman Wars. No, Dustin was in Star Wars. No, he, he wasn't. Was Wars. But Kevin, I got to tell you, if you do get abducted, the, the aliens have this mint lube that's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, nice. You're going to yeah. like it. He I mean, they're, they're traveling yeah. so many light, yeah. millions of light years just to anally probe me. It's a long way to go. <laughs> you must okay. really want it bad. Okay, so I've had very limited use with CBD and CBD oils. I mean, I've tried it before. I obviously broke my leg many years ago, and it's an injury that still kind of bothers me a little bit. And I've tried to rub CBD oil on it. And I, truth be told, I don't know. I never was sure if it helped, if it wasn't helping. I really, I really didn't know. Well, if you've ever wondered if your CBD was working, that means it probably wasn't. Next Evo Naturals developed smart sorb technology, clinically proven to help your body absorb CBD four times better than regular CBD oil. Because oil just doesn't mix with your water-based body. It works faster too. When you feel the stress coming on, you won't waste time wondering, is this working? So recently in the office, we've all been on a bit of a health kick here. We're all walking, trying to get our steps in, sharing our stats. So I've been trying to do 20, 25,000 steps a day, which is a lot. And Truthfully, at my age, I'm starting to feel the aches and pains. So after a long day of walking and working and getting my steps in and just living life, I have turned to Next Evo Naturals, the CBD. It relaxes me and it helps the aches and pains feel a little bit better. The Smart Sorb technology improves CBD's ability to be absorbed and getting it into your system in as little as 10 minutes. Help fight the stress with Nevo Natural Stress CBD Complex with ashwagandha, clinically proven to reduce stress by 70%. Next Evo is the only brand that combines a patented natural whole plant ashwagandha that's eight times more powerful than regular ashwagandha and their 100% U.S. hemp-derived Smart Sorb CBD with four times better absorption than standard CBD. Get to the root of the stress with the Stress CBD Complex from Next Evo Naturals. For up to 25% off subscription orders of $40 or more, use promo code VICTORY at nextevo.com. That's N-E-X-T-E-V-O.com. Promo code VICTORY. DB, did you meet Travis Walton? Of course he did, right? I did, yeah. But after my experience on Eight Man Out and also on Memphis Bell, I played a kind of a real life person. The crew of the Memphis Bell was a real thing, but they changed all the names. And I played the navigator, and he's kind of a coward in the in the movie. But in real life, he was the most heroic guy in the crew. So his family lost their mind when they read the script. They were like, nobody's going to get the distinction of you know the fictional versus the real. It's like this guy was like, a, I don't think he won a bronze star, but he he was a decorated guy and. The yeah. family was like, the legacy will be ruined. And I was like, and I got drawn into the middle of that. I was like, I'm just reading the script here. You know, I don't, wow. don't blame me. So two years, three years later, I did Fire in the Sky. I was like, I really would rather not meet Travis Walton in case I don't believe him. Yeah. Well, do you believe him? Do you believe him? I, the, the most, Connelly clearly does. But. The most incredible thing about that story is there was, in the movie, there's five guys in the pickup truck who witness it. In, in the real account, there's six guys in the pickup truck. And they're not like fraternity brothers. They're just coworkers. And all six guys say it happened. So that's, you know, and they all six pass lie detector tests, which doesn't really prove anything, Well, but it helps. I mean, it's right. the fact that none of them have recanted. It's 50 years ago. Kyle, you you're a believer. I, 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 the, the point is exactly what DB is saying is that these guys had nothing to gain and they were under heavy scrutiny mm -hmm. for this ridiculous story that their friend got kidnapped by a spaceship. <laughs> the guy's gone for five days and then he all pops up alive. And, and then, so these guys were either all in on it together and are the best actors ever or something weird happened that day. Now I don't know. Uh, you know, it's funny. I did you he did you listen to Joe Rogan? You I do. Yeah, Rogan? yeah. Did you hear Travis Walton on Joe? Rogan? I did. I heard that episode. He, he he. Travis Walton said something interesting, and it's true. He said 
when you tell a story long enough, 35, 40 years, however long he's been telling the story, eventually you're telling the story. If, if, does that make any sense? Yeah, like, yeah, it's, he's like, yeah, at this point I'm just, it's so in sketch, it's so sketched into my memory that I'm almost telling the story out of memory of telling the story yeah. than out of my memory of what actually happened. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So I thought does. that was, I mean, but still, I don't believe. It. Well, you don't, what do you think? <laughs> you just is, you just think, I don't really have the hypothesis of what he actually, I mean, did, did you ever but... look into it? There's nothing for me to look into. Maybe it something is, weird happened. Maybe it was a government thing. The or, cops, uh, the cops said LSD. LSD. That's I, what the cops said. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And I, I said, that's what I yeah. said. 1975, a lot know, of LSD floating around. I've got a lot of friends that I've seen on acid think they've been abducted. <clears throat> These by guys were like big tree loggers. I'm just saying, no evidence. Do you think they were doing acid no cameras. with chainsaws. They got cameras. It was they got probed, that's for sure. I know, but everybody's <laughs> got a camera now, and we never we never get any real, oh. Well, there's a lot of evidence. Now, you know, speaking of Rogan, did you hear David Frey? the Navy pilot. They were talking yeah. about there's all kinds of documented information now of uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon, I think they call it now. Yeah. And uh, so it's getting harder and harder to say it doesn't happen. Yeah. I think Doug's point, and, and I hate to say he's kind of right. It's like every time you see these videos, it's like a black and white radar video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, where's the iPhone 14 <laughs> yes. fucking, you know, video shot? Yeah. There's got to yeah. be some high yeah. end video. Of this just, if, anyone, if someone travels that far to our. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> to I'm not about the probing, but wouldn't they want to, <laughs> like, well, why would they come here and not, like, introduce themselves? Or, or just, uh, I mean, like, just as we come from another planet. Listen, but why is it always I mean, a farmer? Why don't they why grab they like hiding? Emily Ratajkowski or something? I mean, like, what, I mean, already got her. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, look, I, you could go so deep into what another form of life could be, could not be. Dylan. Our comprehension can't even comprehend it. But still, my point is, if you said to me, "I will give you a million dollars if you can prove that Kevin Dillon likes to be anally probed," I would get it on camera within a month. Dylan, I'll, I'll take, to. I'll take uh, half that say. money and let's, I'll you, let's split it. Let's I'll do the probing you. right here By in the, the way, studio. I'll, I'll, I'll probe you live on the Victory Podcast. Yes, right now for, the, for that kind of money. Ew. Um, Dylan, you, I'll probe Dylan, you live. Smell a pay-per-view event. Yeah. What a, what a, what a weird go. thing Dylan say. Like, why wouldn't they introduce themselves? Why would you drive no, it's across true. the I galaxy? Mean, you you want to? You would go for either they'd want to take our world. Or right. they'd want something from us, water, you're oxygen, assuming, whatever. You're assuming, though, that they are some form of life that has any relation to us. Again, I can't even or come up with Or they would want to study like, us. Or I, but maybe it's like religion it. to try to come up with, like, how did all of this happen? You know, well, wh- why would they be there? They're, they'd have well, to be there. Look, Maybe they're I, home. They're looking for a new look, home. We know. Or, we know hundreds of movies. They're that not looking for a home. Though. It's contemplated. Us. That's it, us. But, That's our technology. That you did see. you guys ever get the sea monkeys from the comic book when you were kids? The little shrimp. Sea monkeys? The, sea monkeys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so maybe Brian, we're like, Brian Shrimp. Yeah, maybe we're, them, you mean? But maybe we're the sea monkeys to the aliens. Like they, they got a little aquarium. Yeah, it's like, yeah, what yeah. does he say? Like an animal might, house. Little, we might be like little ants. What, what if aquarium? we're just, they're just they're, looking at it like a different. hobby? They're an animal different. house. Tom Holtz. What if we're just like a little universe inside the thumbnail of some great big creature? <laughs> yeah. in some other universe. I, I believe like Horton's herd of who or something. I believe that it's our technology. What is the the flying the phenomenon? Yes, that you of see? course it is. I think it's. I think it's. Now, by yes. that that being said, I do believe there's life somewhere. I don't know what the hell it is. Oh, I agree. Hundred percent. There's life yeah. in the universe. Yeah, but I just don't think one of these days. And I believe there's intelligent life as well. I just don't think they're going to come all over here for probing. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean. <laughs> All right, let's get back to let's, let's get, get back, back to let's career. get back to all right. Here we go. So, but and now you're working again with uh, with Coppola. When this is a great story about Coppola. So after kicking around, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go back to what I did. I'm going to make 
my movie with my own money, like raised it and he's doing it all on his own. Correct? Yeah. As far as, I mean, the ru- nobody knows for sure, but the rumor is he's spending like a hundred million or more of his own money to make Jeez. this film Megalopolis. And he's had the script for 30 years. And it's like, uh, it's not like Fast and Furious or anything like that. It's kind of an art movie. It's like a meditation on cities and the nature of society and civilization. I mean, it's Adam Driver's in it and John Voight and Dustin Hoffman and Forrest Whitaker. I mean, it's an unbelievable cast and it's so ambitious. And like, he showed me the sketches and it it looks like The Conformist, you know, the famous Dororo movie meets Avatar. Like it's amazing vision of like the near future and coupled with like the coolest parts of the past. Like, you know, like he has elements of, great design from like the last 30 years, but he also has these things that he's imagined in the near future. So wow. he calls the setting of the movie modern times. So there can be a payphone booth on the street and also a cell phone the size of a diamond ring in the same universe. And he's just got his own thing. It's amazing. That's wild. So, and, and who, who are you playing in this and who else is in it? I play the police commissioner of New York. Um, we have Natalie Emanuel from uh, game of Thrones and fast and the furious. And, uh, Aubrey Plaza, Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Aubrey Plaza is amazing yeah. on White Lotus. You've been watching White Lotus. I, I, got, I got to catch up on that one. I'm going to see. I hear it's great. Yeah. But she's tremendous. We had a week of rehearsal together, and she's so talented. And uh, it's just a great, great bunch. And I think John Voight is one of the great actors. I mean, oh yeah, you know, I mean, he's unreal. Legend. Ray Donovan uh, to me is like a clinic. So yeah. uh, uh, and and those two guys, Dustin Hoffman and John Voight, haven't been together since Midnight Cowboy. Is that true? So, do yeah. they have scenes together? Wow. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. So that's it's, cool. So it's pretty, pretty great. I'm walking over here. I'm walking <laughs> here. Jesus Christ! I hate when you do your movie impression. Um, and how far into the process is it? Are you rehearsing? Week, you week two. We shot a week. We shot last week, and then I'm not on this week. So uh, you know, that's why I got to be out here. And, and what happened yesterday? You had was that from shooting and yeah, doing another show. This I, guy's got more jobs in one week, Doug, than you and I have had in the last five years. Yeah. I'd got True. brought in uh, call me cat. Um, t- uh, I worked with this great, this is actually a great story. I'll tell you this real quick. Uh, Jim Patterson was my, uh, brought me in on two and a half men. And so our sons played hockey together, you know, like 13, 14 years ago. And they were on the junior Kings in El Segundo. So hockey parents are crazy to begin with. <laughs> um, the best thing you can do as a hockey parent is to get away from the other parents and go find a private spot to watch. Right. So I'd always go by the Zamboni door and just watch. And this other dude was there, Jim Patterson. He had a Michigan shirt. And, you know, El Segundo's not really Hollywood. It's like there's Toyota there. There's, there's Northrop Grumman. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of possibility for normal people around there. So uh, anyway, I figured he's like one of these guys. So I start talking to him, shooting the shit. And, and, he, go, and he knew I was an actor, but it wasn't like a thing. And so one day he goes, wow, you're really funny. Have you ever thought of doing a sitcom? And I was like, oh, no, nah, I hate this. Now he's going to pitch me some shit or whatever, you know? And, and, uh, he goes, uh, he goes, cause I'm one of the writers on two and a half men and maybe you'd come do an episode. And now I thought, okay, this is one of those things that gets said to you 15 times a day in LA. That means nothing. Right. And so three months later, I moved my family to Chicago for my son's hockey and for our life and for other reasons. I get a call from Jim and he goes, Hey DB, it's uh, Jim Patterson. I just got promoted. I'm the head writer on two and a half men. You want to, you want to come in and do an episode? Now I, I like, can make that happen. And now. I was like, okay. So I flew in, we did one episode and John Cryer and I had done a play together back in the day in New York. And we kind of clicked. The director was Jamie Widows who was in that play, the Kane mutiny that I did. So I had some, you <laughs> well, know, some, and Charlie, obviously. And, right? No, Charlie obviously. was gone by now. Uh, so this is the Ashton uh, Kutcher days. I will right, we'll edit that out. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, but it was, you know, so John Cryer and I had an immediate thing. And so it turned into like 11 episodes. So wow. then last year there's this show uh, I did called be positive and Jim Patterson again, called me up and said, Hey, you want to come in and try this out? And, you know, it's kind of like a paid audition to do an episode. And that turned into 11 episodes and then the show got canceled. So 
tragically on uh, on on Call Me Cat, they lost a very lo- beloved actor. You know, Leslie died a few weeks ago, um, and so it was. Uh, you know, they had. You know, they're trying to figure out where the show goes. You know, try right. me and a couple other pieces to see what you know makes the most sense. So, uh, and it was great. I just, you know, but anyway. So I go to the makeup room, and and this goes back to my theory of like like makeup trailer is where all movies go to die, and and you know it's nothing. <laughs> Doug's gonna love this. Nothing, <laughs> nothing yeah. good happens there. So when I directed my movie Two Tickets to Paradise, the first thing I did was in the budget was I crossed out the makeup trailer. And I said, we're going to have no, because that's where everybody goes to say how much the director sucks. Yep. <laughs> so, so I thought, you can't, you got to say it to my face now. We're going right. to do, so I had the makeup artist go to the actors, <laughs> two banger, and do their makeup there. Because I just wanted to quell every conspiracy in the, in the cradle. So anyway, so I go to the makeup trailer yesterday, lovely people. And, you know, they always go by what number you are on the call sheet. And so I'm a guest star, some number, whatever, 12 or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's just, but there's like a pecking order. Right. And I've always felt like in the makeup trailer, Take care of the guy who's the most banged up with the best person, right? So, you, like, the girl, they bring in the girl, the main character. She's like a shiny dime. She doesn't need <laughs> yeah. any makeup. You know, I mean, she, you know, give her a little powder. and work She's on good the, to go. Work right? on the older lady. You know, work on the, you know, but it's always like, you know, they and, and there's a lot of qualified, talented people. Anyway, I had a bad reaction with the makeup, and I was sort of like, well, you know, here we go. I, I could have done with no makeup at all, and, you know, who cares? That's not where they're hiring me. Right. So, but my face, I turned into a lobster. So now they got to cover it because you can see the residual today. I'm still a little red. So now they take out the friggin' spackle and they're, you know, they're covering <laughs> me. So DB came in yesterday. We were going to record yesterday and he had just had this reaction to it. So yeah. this morning I said to Dylan, like, yo, whatever, whatever happened. So yesterday you came in, you were putting aloe on. Did it, what did yeah. you, did they end up? Well, then I went to the Warner Brothers Infirmary, which of course is where all the world's greatest skin experts are. <laughs> and, uh, and they gave me some uh, like cortisone cream or something. And it actually worked a little bit. I was putting ice yeah. on it. And it was just funny. It was like, uh, I got hurt once on a movie 30 years ago. And the producer was like, came to the emergency room and he's like, he's acting like he was concerned. But then he finally said, are you going to be able to film tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. And it was yeah. like, you know, he's, he like let down that he really didn't give a fuck about me. The holidays are here. Achieve gifting greatness when you give the gift of perfectly aged, tender, and delicious Omaha steaks. The steak experts at Omaha Steak have put together curated gift packages to help take the guesswork out of gifting and make you a holiday hero. OmahaSteaks.com and use code VICTORY at checkout. Get $30 off your order. Send an assortment of mouth-watering favorites guaranteed to impress like the legendary Butcher's Cut Filet Mignon, air-chilled boneless chicken, ultra-juicy burgers, and even easy-to-prepare comfort meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away, so shop early and beat the shopping rush. Go to OmahaSteaks.com and use promo code VICTORY at checkout. Omaha Steaks equals the world's best beef. Naturally aged for the ultimate in tenderness, juiciness, and flavor, Omaha Steaks has everything you need to deliver an unforgettable holiday gift experience. Five generations of family-owned expertise means uncompromising quality that you can trust. Every steak and every entree is flash-frozen, vacuum-sealed, and ready to share with your family. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com. Use promo code VICTORY at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. So yesterday, you know, the producer, like Jim is my buddy, and the other producers were so sweet and everything, but you could tell they were sort of like, is he going to force us to come back and film tomorrow? And I was like, and I was like, there's no way we're shooting this. Even if I have a bag over my head, I mean, right. so that's I, why I said, I said, DB, you got to get out in front of this one, bro. This didn't happen at the nightclub. This happened on, <laughs> yeah. on their yeah. set. Just call him and tell him you had a reaction to the reaction yeah. to it. So it worked out. You it shot worked last out. Night? Yeah, we shot, but it was funny. I looked at my face in the mirror and I was like, there's no way I don't look like a guy with four inches of makeup on. I mean, it was just, <laughs> right. it was yeah. like, I felt yeah. like I'd taken like a, uh, 
plaster of Paris. I'm going, like, <laughs> you know, was, but they said it was all right. And Did they, they also, use like green uh, as a base? Because if you yeah. want to get rid of red, you start That's with green as a base. Dylan knows his makeup, I love well, He's a painter. Yeah. He's they a they painter. did do something you, like that. And then you, uh, after the green, then you put the uh, the makeup on yeah. top Yeah, but then that, they also, they told me they're going to go in and, uh, in post-production and digitally do something, which sounds to me like, you know, we've always said we'll fix it in post. It's right. never true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They never do that. feel better. But is that, so say that again, Kev. So if it's red, you put green on it? Yes. And that'll neutralize? neutralize. Green will neutralize the red. You know, the same thing, little. I, I, I've had kind of like, I, I would Spoken go like golfing. a guy who went golfing on Sunday. Yeah, before I'd go they, golfing, I'd, get all, I'd come back, I'd be all red, and they to take the red down, they would use green. By the way, there's no way the I aliens love that would not want to talk to you. There's just no way. <laughs> I'm dying. I want to probe They don't even you. talk to me. They I go wanna, straight for the probe. I want to probe <laughs> you my, after that little stat. conversation. That's great. If that's I'm an alien, I'm grabbing Kev? Dylan, too. I'm I'm you wanna, you guys are going for the probe right away? I think that's a really interesting thing. Of course, Dylan knows the tricks of the trade. Yeah, I'm I got toasted. I'm burnt on the golf course. Yeah. And they're going to put a little green makeup on me. And I I'll was be fine. so bad for years. I just burned my face. I mean, DB's a golfer too. And Kev, you're just now golfing, but I mean, you never put, use sunblock only now over the, like the last couple of years if I started doing it, but you're out in the sun all day long. <laughs> Not for me. I, you know, I tee off at six, seven hours, so seven I'm, hours in the sun. There's no shade. I, I feel like this should be written down, right? This is Johnny drama, coaching a makeup artist. Absolutely. Scene, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's like, I, you know, Dylan, I love that you know that. Don't worry about sunblock at all. No, they'll put some green on my face. Yeah, 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 a little green. Dylan knows his, it's amazing when Dylan is in there instructing the makeup artist. I mean, but but it also is amazing to think it's about. It's good to know. How a film can be affected, and I was I was saying before we got on the air because you tell me about the reaction. But David Schwimmer was shooting this uh, Ivan Reitman movie, Six Days, Seven Nights, and his girlfriend at the time came to my house, played with my cat for a second, and we went over to the set, which was in Beverly Hills. Michael oh Chapman, Oscar-winning, it's Harrison Ford, right? So, yeah, Harrison, Harrison uh, Ford, Ellen's, Anne Hesh, Anne Ellen's Hay, old the, yeah. the late Anne Hesh, yeah, and, uh, Michael Chapman, you know, cinematographer of uh, I believe Raging Bull, uh, Oscar winner. And she goes over, she just kisses David hello. And then like, I'm standing, awesome. I'm standing by the camera. There's like 300 people there. It's probably at the time, uh, like oh, 75 million. I mean, it was a massive movie. And all of a sudden I hear like Michael Chapman going, what, what's wrong with his face? And David's face within like two minutes of saying hello to her who kissed a cat Your an cat? hour earlier. Wow. My cat, my oh, cat. Wow. All of a sudden his entire face blew up and they had to shut the whole, the whole thing down. And when you're in, which we just did an independent pilot, like, if things get shut down like that, you're fucked. You can't you recover. Know? I mean, obviously, Harrison Ford, they can recover. But, you know. Yeah, uh, listen, um, I don't want to get into the, the deep. We just have beat the story to death. But on, you know, on the when we did the Entourage movie, we got this crazy location in uh, Palo Alto. Where was that? Palo Alto. Palo Alto. And it was four days at this one location. And like 60 people flew in for cameos. And I broke my leg on at 1030 in the morning on day one. And as I'm laying there, I said... We are not shutting. I we I know I didn't have to talk to Doug or the producers. I'm like, I just have to figure out a way to get through this. Yeah, we're the not party scene. We're not is... coming back to shoot this. It's too late. The ship is sailed. I've so. never seen so many trailers. I mean, we, there was like 20 trailers and they were all double bangers. I mean, I that's mean, how many guests we had. It's, it's funny. A, we it's had a big Brady. Grump, I was so jealous when you guys Mike were shooting Tyson. that show. I wanted to be on that show so bad. Uh, we would have had you on. Dylan should have called. It's what I did? I tried to. Yeah. I you guys <laughs> yeah, you're muttering, stuttering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, that day it's funny because we had we, last week we had a charity guy here uh, who wanted charity. He wanted to come see the podcast and he was talking about that scene and he was like how did you put all of that together and it's it's funny because we have such a great crew i'm like 
I didn't, I didn't really do much. Gronkowski just showed up, said, can I be in it? And, uh, but it was a, a massive day. I knew. I was like, fuck, man. This is like, I can't even like complain my way out of this one. I'm like, I didn't need to talk to anybody. I so knew in that I scene, to... they just had you sit somewhere? No. Like, he, he still could... had a walk. No, I was oh, walking no, Gron- Gronkowski, like, wanted, okay. Gronkowski wanted to shoot him up with some tarnal. <laughs> no. you know, I <laughs> swear to God. KB, I actually, I knew he couldn't walk hardly, so I put my arm around him, and I, as we're talking, we're doing a walk and talk, I'm basically like carrying him along. By the way, there, I had to make it about, I don't know, probably from, I'd say three or four feet. Twenty? Oh, no, no, it was longer than that. But there was this one, uh, one point where I was just exposed. There's a guy... They're like, cut. I'm like, what? Like, it looks like you're limping. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure my leg is broken. I'm definitely limping. But you can, and by the way, I'll pull up the shot one day. You can see it if you look close. Dylan, who likes to, you know, basically try to probe me. But Dylan, <laughs> well, reached, uh, Dylan reached under and he, and he hooked me. Reached my, under. Uh, <laughs> wow, this Dylan, is good. Dylan it's, a a reach reach around. Around. it's a reach Dylan around. It's a reach around. Dylan grabbed me by my belt. And oh he my gave God, me like a wedgie this... and he carried me to my mark. <laughs> you you want to see, see a public assault that is in the entourage <laughs> right. movie. But Dylan I mean, probed me on film. How many people can we, say we that? We had this I in the cutting edge with Moira when she broke her leg. And actually one solution was genius. It made the scene better. Like, we go back to the hotel and she's hammered, but she couldn't walk. She had a boot, uh, a cast on her foot. So they had me carry her piggyback and put a, they put a massive fur coat on her because it's kind of silhouette. So it took your eye away from the cast. Yeah. It was genius. And it actually made the scene better because she's so hammered. She can't even walk. And then she comes on to my character and it's like it. And he's like, I don't want to do this. You know, you kind of yeah, get it. I you know, it's amazing. Scene. You yeah, have no scene. options, but to come up with something. This is, stuff this is funny. This comes full circle because before we came on, we talked about, I don't know if we, we've been chatting, but when we were shooting the movie and we were rolling through the Warner Brothers lot in, in the Lincoln, we were rolling through in the Lincoln because my leg was broken. We were yeah. supposed to be walking. Oh, yeah. And because oh, wow. my leg was broken, Doug was like, why don't we just put him in the car? And have the Lincoln rolling through the soundstage. So that's yeah, the only yeah. reason why the Lincoln was even there. Can't get so too you, much of that car, though. That car. Well, that, it, oh, it's, yeah. it's funny. And not that, it was, it. not that it wasn't a happy accident for me, but it actually aesthetically yeah. was awesome to yeah, see the yeah. Lincoln rolling through because yeah. it wasn't there. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, lots of times things like that happen and you come up with solutions. But I remember, you know, it's tough. I mean, first of all, he's one of my close friends. But I remember going, he could permanently damage yeah. his leg. Well, and at I the did. same time, you're right. We were not coming back. Right. There was no way. Yeah, I, I Where's that car now? Who's got it? Uh, Dylan was trying you to know buy what? it. I, I should have bought that car when I could have. I, I didn't have to buy that. With the guy, we were renting it from this guy, and now the guy's trying to sell it for like a million dollars or do, whatever. Do you know that but, Dylan said to me, you know what? After season one, Dylan was like, you know what? If we come back, I'm going to buy that car, and I'm going to rent it to production. Yes. <laughs> to which I responded, that's the worst idea I've I ever heard in my life. That would have been. It would have been the greatest. And not move. only that, it yeah. would have been just better if it was yours. Uh, and I and I would have kept ah. it in better shape. That thing would, it had no brakes. The steering was off. It would, it would overheat. Do you remember? Yeah. Finally, that guy uh, put some money into it. So you didn't have a backup one standing by? Nope. nope. We had that was it. backups. That's amazing. That was it. At one stage, I had the whole crew. I thought That's you might have been in there in the back. And when I was driving to Vegas, doing the Vegas bit. And I'm supposed to be drunk. I'm drinking Jack Daniels and that. driving. Cut which the is drinking crazy. and driving. Did we cut that? Oh, but there's no, there's no use swinging. The I'm like crying and I'm singing some song. I forget what song it was, but uh, yo. So on the and last, I'm going. Day, I yeah. can't see anything with the lights. I can't see the road. The brakes don't work. The steering's all over the place. <laughs> I got guys hanging out of the Lincoln. I mean, it was like so dangerous. Oh, you know what, God. though? If I had to go with one guy behind the wheel of that Lincoln, <laughs> it's Dylan. No questions. <laughs> 
Dylan is the game one starter for driving the car. For sure. But um, um, uh, this is funny. And I, whatever, I'll say it because he ended up signing it, I believe. But uh, the last day of shooting of the show, we're in the hangar in Van Nuys. Uh, Doug, I mean, come on, 200 people. It, it, by the way, it was like doing live television. By the way, it was like doing it in front of a, it, it was like a sitcom. There were so many people there to watch us shooting this last scene. And Dylan had befriended the guy that owns the Lincoln. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Dylan comes over and he's like, yo, this guy wants everybody to sign the, the, the <laughs> he wanted the, us open to the sign box and sign the, and, now right away you go like, man, that jacks the price. You know what yeah, you're doing yeah. to it. And I'm going like, well, who gives, well, all right, who gives a fuck? What am I going to yeah. do? Ask him I for mean, a I was ride? like, yeah, the guy was all right to us. Dylan but. comes up and is like, hey, guys. So. I got him to do the inside. I think it was the inside Which of the glove box. Which is a way better idea. I was idea like, you do not want it right out here no, in front. on the it's seats gonna, or something. So you open, yeah. you open up the glove box. And, and there and it I, is. And it'll protect the signatures as well. And I believe Piven was the lone holdout. Uh, <laughs> Piven did not want to do it. He didn't want to do it for and the I first instance. he instinct. may have done he it. He did it. But I think Jerry and I immediately were like, and Adrian's like, well... Adrian finally was like, all right, Adrian. But then again, it. you know, his character never really spent any time in that Lincoln anyway. So, yeah, but, I mean, but it, you know, it's good. It's good. Yeah, for, it's, it's great good for, for the, the value. Car, but I think, no that, you know, Piven was like the last minute holdout. <laughs> Did and he then finally, yeah, he finally, I guess it's what's the upside? There's no. God forbid the Lincoln guy makes an extra 10 grand when he yeah, sells the car. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I think that was Dylan thought. said, Jeremy, either your fucking signature <laughs> or your brains are going to be on that contract. <laughs> I'm happy to welcome an amazing new sponsor to the show, and I'm talking about Sheath Underwear. Have you or your friends had trouble finding comfortable underwear? Underwear that is focused on your comfort with no chafing, no sticking, no drama, and designed so that everything fits exactly where it should. And you know what I'm talking about. If yes, then you have to try Sheath Underwear. It all starts with Sheath's dual pouch system, a concept that was developed by the company's founder after enduring a summer in Iraq, day after day of triple digit heat and unbearable chafing and discomfort. Founder and CEO Robert Patton felt there had to be a better way and now there is. When I first saw it, I thought, this is genius. My friends tell me all you have to do is put them on and gravity handles the rest. The dual pouch comfortably cradles you just like a hammock for the family jewels. And don't forget to check out our newest additions, the Bamboo 5 and the Mesh Boxer Brief. Added comfort, added performance, added mobility. You know what? I like to wear sheath underwear at my roller hockey games. It keeps me cool for three periods of men's roller hockey on Wednesday night. It's a whole new world of comfort and performance. The sheath underwear is all about supporting shows like ours and supporting free speech. So make sure to give sheath underwear a try. Go to sheath underwear.com now and use the promo code victory to receive 20% off today. That is very important. That's sheathunderwear.com today and use the promo code V-I-C-T-O-R-Y for 20% off. So hey, speaking of that, I got a uh, quick story. So I did this movie, Two Takes to Paradise, with our friend McGinley and, and yeah. uh, Ed Harrison. Anyway, you, you directed it, wrote I directed it. it, wrote it, produced it, put the money up, lost Acted my ass, it. the whole thing. Of anyway, course. but the, the soundtrack is unbelievable, right? Because it was really it's a road trip movie. I wanted to have that '80s rock and roll soundtrack. So, anyway, so a friend of mine was friends with Bruce Springsteen's publicist. So he got me a Bruce Springsteen song, super cheap. What? Wow. Yeah, and then uh, a um, long time. And I had, which song? Yeah, which song is I, it? Uh, when you're alone. Uh, from uh, Tunnel of Love, I think. Uh, anyway, okay. so uh, so anyway, so I had met Springsteen at this uh, at Ted Field's house at a party, and I was like, it was like thirty people at the party. Everybody there was famous, and I was like, what? Has, I'm going to get run out of this room here, but I got to say hi to Springsteen before I do. So I'm thinking of, uh, you know, what can I say to you know say hello, and then just to hit and run and get out of there, not try to shake hands or hug or anything like that. So I just, you know, I, I'm thinking about, it, I'm thinking about, it, and I'm like, okay, I come up with my line. And then he opens up, I know somebody walks away, Bonnie Raitt or something, and I walk over and I go, hey, Bruce, 
one of the many. Just want to thank you for the music and turn to go. <laughs> like that was I was wow. gonna do any shit, wow. right? And he goes, Hey, you're the guy in the baseball movie. <laughs> wow. I was like, oh, there is a God. Uh, and, as cool. a matter yeah. of fact, I wasn't that yeah. baseball. And, well, movie. John Sales directed the video for Glory Days. Oh, okay. So that's why that was I didn't know that at the time. So anyway, so we talked for like 40 minutes. Wow. Ten wow. years later. People are looking over like, why is he talking to that idiot? You know, I'm more famous. And so uh, uh, 10 years later, I sent a letter and I said, hey, uh, I'm doing this movie. It's about a guy from Pennsylvania. John McGinley's playing it. He's a New Jersey guy. And it's about your people. It's about your audience. And I wonder if you'd consider giving us a song. So he said yes. And, wow. uh, and he said yes. And he forced Sony to take this ridiculously low license fee. So I took, so the movie, there's a scene, like a visual vocal with Dire Straits, one of my favorite bands of oh, all time. Love yeah. So it's, uh, and we have to, the, the scene is like, we, we say one, the song after the good song is called Scrudge. Like I invented that word as if that's going to become something people say. Right. So the whole scene is about, you never put a good song on an album after a shitty, uh, you know, you never put a, you know, a good song after a great song because nobody will ever remember it. So you throw, a, you put a song in there to a fall buffer, on the grenade. A shitty a buffer. buffer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we had to call a Dire Straits song shitty, right? So it's an <laughs> argument in the movie, but I need both songs because they're going to switch back. So Mark Knopfler, I asked him to do the score of the thing. I didn't know him, but I sent him a cold call, like, would you do the score? And he liked the script. And he was like, nah, not, no score, but you can have a song. And I said, I need wow. two songs. And I go, okay. And then I jammed him on the Springsteen Favored Nations price. <laughs> and he agreed, right? Wow. So, But they, the, the record labels, they slow, slow roll you because they're hoping it goes away. And yep. so anyway, so he, I, I got to deliver the movie. And I, haven't, I don't have the rights from Mark Jesus. Knopfler yet. So Paul Hip, who was in the movie, his, uh, he was friends with Malcolm McDowell whose wife was best friends with Knopfler. Yeah, so really? we used all of this. Entourage guy. You know? yeah. Interesting combo. Yeah. So we, anyway, so we get through, uh, we get backstage at the Universal Amphitheater, his show and the whole thing. We're backstage and it's awesome. And I got the contracts with me. And so we talk for wow. like 30 minutes and it's great. And so uh, finally it's kind of wrapping up and, and uh, I say, hey, Mark, listen, I hate to do this, but I, can you, do you mind signing these contracts? And the manager comes over and he's like, hey, we'll, we'll handle that later. And I was like, <laughs> we've been handling that later for six months. We kind of need to do it now. And so Mark was like, well, I don't know. And I said, hey, listen, Mark, it's your brains or your signature on the contract. <laughs> and, and it was kind of like funny and maybe not funny. And, right. and the security guys kind of move in a little bit. And, wow. then, and then he signed. <laughs> Did he laugh? He, said, you know he finally doing? laughed. And then he signed. And we drank for another half hour. So well, you pulled the contract I out of your pocket. And like, yo, I need yeah. to whoever, didn't, whoever didn't get wow. the line, because I said it before, that's the Godfather line. So, but did Mark yeah. Knopfler, who I love, did he laugh? He kind of, it was a little, oh, he's not a big guy. And it was McGinley's is bigger than McGinley's me. McGinley's a big and, boy. And, and Paul Hip is kind of, it's the three of us kind of looming. <laughs> and the security guy. So it was like, it might have been real. I, so I don't know. Threatened Mark Knopfler. I, I mean, that's. I hate that's to say it. But, you muscled yeah. him. You brought yeah, in we, McGinley. We, you brought in. You know, with yeah. us, DB. So we, we get, we Matt Damon, um, we had Bono on early, you two on early. And then Matt Damon says, I want to bring Bono back for this scene with his charity. And Matt shoots his side of the phone call, which is on a computer. And Bono's on the other side of it. And Matt leaves. And I email Matt. I'm like, okay, so uh, when's Bono ready to shoot? And he doesn't respond to me. And I'm like, Jesus. we had like less than three weeks to, to finish it's the It's like getting episode. ready to air. You got to finish it. Yeah. Getting ready to the episode. And I'm like, uh, uh, hello, Matt. Like, how do we get Bono? So I have a, a an empty computer screen where who Adrian was talking to yeah, Bono, yeah, I think. Yeah. Like Vince is talking to Bono. Yeah, and there's dra no Bono. drama and Vince are talking to Bono, right? So my buddy Will McDonough, who's fucking nuts, is like, uh, I'm going to Ireland tomorrow to see you too. I'll get it done. 
See, like, I would never think that that could possibly happen. The story that DB just told him, what you're talking about, sounds I'm crazy. I'm literally like, uh, thanks, Will. That's that's great. He's Good like, luck. Send Good me, luck in Ireland. send me the script, okay? I'm like, all right. I sent him the script. I wake up in the morning. I have this video, like, film nicely. Nice. They had. You know, Bono's people filmed it. So sure, it he's got some guys. Totally worked. But I, I, we have to use this for a social clip because no one directed him. No one told him what it is. And Bono is playing it like it's like some weird space movie. He's like, Vincent Chase, <laughs> I need to talk to you. So I wake up at 7 in the morning. I'm like, holy shit, Will McDonough got this done. And I look at this thing. I'm like, this is not usable. There's no way we could use it. So I, I text him. I go, Will. I need another take. <laughs> I need to get on the phone with him. I need to tell him what to do. And he got it done. It was pretty wild. That's fantastic. So, yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's, I would never. Uh, if I wish Will McDonough me, was my manager. Will McDonough's a beast. He, he got Tom Brady for us also. So. I mean, I'm just, I just give bad advice to the Dylan with the Lincoln. If you said that to me, you're like, yo, I'm going to bring these contracts. I would say, buddy, do not pull those fucking contracts out backstage. It's going to be ridiculous. You're going to get laughed out. Gutsy of move. The room. Gutsy, gutsy move. move. I, I am like still it. Because you can't sign it. I I'll be like, whoa, dude, I give you my word. I'm going to sign. I get it. I'll sign it in the morning. I can't. Yeah, but the guy, it. I mean, he's not going to sit there and read it, right? Right, I mean, that's what like, I'm saying. Like, he could have signed anything. Yeah. yeah. It's and, a boilerplate. I right. Mean, and for people yeah. that, you know, that DB took all of the licensing rights to for people, yeah, for, for every album. <laughs> <laughs> for people that are, li- that are listening that, that don't understand, getting music for movies particularly from these big bands is near impossible. Yeah. It's just not affordable. No. Right? So anytime you can you gotta know, have guts. You gotta have guts or yeah, or you gotta have a probe. You gotta probe them. You gotta probe. Or a probe. A guts or a nice probe. You gotta just probe them till they, till I, I, they I love it. A little reach around. Both those stories are great. We, but we should, I don't know if we wait till the episode. We'll show that that bottle stuff. It's it's absolutely amazing because it's funny <laughs> as shit. Okay, it's that time of year again. The holidays are here. I know it's stressful. A lot of presents to get. You want to be original. You don't want to be boring. You don't want to be bland. Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. So here's a few things I was going through the website, a few things that I liked. You know, obviously I have an 18-month-old daughter and she's she's into the sensory thing. So right now she likes to put her hands in all kinds of things and she, she likes to, she likes to, I'm, I'm getting her the exploding hand soap. I mean, it's great. They're like these bubbles. Kennedy will go in and squeeze them and boom, and it turns into soap. It's nice and safe. She washes her hands. So I like that, the exploding hand soap for Kennedy. But even the best part is for the love of my life, Zulai, I'm getting the desk chair wrap. She's always complaining how cold it is. So now she can sit in her office. She's working on Modern Muse. She sits in. She wraps herself up in this desk chair wrap. It's pretty cool. I know she's going to love it. She's super hard to buy for. So, yeah, man, Uncommon Goods. You got to check it out. To get 15% off your next gift, go to UncommonGoods.com slash victory. That's UncommonGoods.com slash victory for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. All right, wow, this what, has been great. Yeah, no, you got yeah. you got the Mets hat on. You can't can't let us go without Irish night. 
Irish Night oh, at Shea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is funny. Oh, boy. Let's go out on this. So it's Irish Night at Shea, and they have, like, Irish bands. <laughs> I think I'm dropped. sure there were no fights that night. Yeah. Oh, right. man, it was probably so many fights. <laughs> that night. The, my, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. <laughs> I said that. I'm like, oh, my God. It's they had bands like, like, like stayed home that me night, getting by the beat way. up and having a bad hangover and getting beat up. That's how that night sounded. bands like the Dropkick Murphys or whatever. Yeah, like blogging Mollies or whatever. Concert. Just aggressive. It was great. Major yeah. aggression. So what anyway, I'm over there with my buddy Magoo, and we're sitting <laughs> in this beautiful suite. And we're watching the game, and I hear, hey, Dylan, you whip, you pussy. And I'm like, uh, yeah, just ignore that. Who's <laughs> always drunk at these games? Uh, it just wouldn't let up. It was like, it went on and on and on. It's like, you suck, you baby. And I'm like, and I was like, all right, that's enough. And I look over and I look down and who is it? Stevie with, uh, with Billy Devlin. Oh my God. So for yelling for, at me, I'm like, oh, get up here. Yo, so for like the first half hour, you're like, just ignore him. Whatever. No, no, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that long. Whatever. But it was, it was good. Uh, right. Well, we were 30 we, seconds of them berating me. And I finally and said, who is, the hell is No, we were having a food and beverage emergency though because it was Irish night and so normally they turn off the beer in the seventh inning but because Dropkick Murphys or whoever yeah. played before everybody was lit it was <laughs> barroom balls in the, the, fifth, the right. fifth inning they, they turned off the beer early. is that true? <laughs> absolutely and so now, it was, it's, now it's before the first for Irish only night only Irish yeah. night that Irish shut night. it down they, they shut it down so we had a great <laughs> we had a great suite and I was yes. like oh, alright come on up here so we I don't know how when you guys got up there you can't really just move up we worked it well we got you what year would you say this is? Like ninety, that had to be nineties, right? Twenty five, oh twenty eight. They years still have ago? Irish. I mean, they, they can't even. Have I don't think it. they can get insurance. <laughs> no, that, that's like that day at Yankee Stadium. And they used to give out bats, baseball bats. They don't do that. Who was shit who was behind that promotion? Like, I mean, how many people got clubbed at Yankee Stadium? Oh my God! It's like uh, at Woodstock '99 when they gave out candles to everyone oh and they just burned the place. Did you down? watch that doc? The documentary is insane. You, three did you three see episodes. This? No, oh, it's nuts. It's on Netflix. I think. It's it's nuts. It's called Woodstock '99, the train wreck, or something <laughs> I mean, like it's that. Just it's just sheer so mayhem, lawlessness, and it's like you know, Lord of the Flies. I'm, I'm sure you heard about Ten Cent Beer Night because that happened. At, didn't that happen at Comiskey? Oh didn't yeah, absolutely. At, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Ten Cent Beer Night is a great story. YouTube that one because oh. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah a I heard long about story, that. but yeah. it's. Let's say Ten Cent Beer Night didn't go. It wasn't a great promotion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they didn't come back for you a know, year. Or at, two. at the comedy store when I used to do stand up on Monday nights, they started doing um, no cover, two free drinks. Can yeah. you imagine like you're getting up Ugh. amateur standups in front of a bunch of fucking drunk lunatics who didn't pay <laughs> their bar bill? And I walked on one. I used to wear like a whatever. I used to wear like a leather jacket and and I came on and like all these guys like it's fucking Fonzie, you know? And, like, <laughs> what do you think you dice clay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Oh, anyway, well, Dini, this is Irish great. night. My yeah. God. Oh, that was That's, fun. I what might have been an honorable, night, honorable, honorary Mets fan for that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you know, by you the way, switched over. since you brought up both of them and all of these people have come on, did you see the people who were drafted in Major League Baseball after Russell Wilson? Did you see this list that I sent you the other day? Did you look? Aaron Judge was drafted after Russell Wilson. Wow. Jacob DeGrom was drafted after Russell wow. Wilson. Baseball is harder to, harder to gauge. It's not yeah, like well, basketball. Yeah. Or, or maybe yeah. Russell would have been Or great. even hockey. Yeah. Maybe he should well, retire he football probably now been. and play. He yeah. You know, the one in hockey is uh, Tom Glavin, the Hall of Fame pitcher for the Braves. He, was drafted, he was drafted in the first round ahead of Brett Hull. That's no way. Amazing. Yeah. 
So wow. Glavin probably could have been a, an all-star hockey player that's too. Right. I did not know that. One of the great yeah. hockey, uh, one of the great athletes. That's kind of nuts. That's that's kind of nuts to think about because Glavin. I don't know. I don't think of him like he would be a hockey player. He looks like a, just a precision yeah. pitcher. But he was top. Brett, top, Brett top, Hull. Top, top, top Brett Hull, who we we hang out with all the time. Yeah. At Chris Chelios's golf event. He's got the biggest hands you've ever seen. These big yeah. meaty hands. I saw his hands. And his no dad, too. I don't know no if he's still listening to the podcast, but I saw his hands around Andrew Left one night at the Gaza Ranch. But they're friends. But it was fun. A couple of drinks. Probing a fan anal. Oh, but those hands, forget those about it. <laughs> <laughs> Davey, right. this was great. Davey, you're the Everybody, best. Will you come oh, back? We got to have I you love back. It, man. We could have so done, done two hours here. It's oh, crazy. no doubt. No doubt. Really great to see you guys. Thank yeah. you so Thanks much for, for having me. Thank you. you absolutely. It, and uh, that wraps up another episode of Victory the Podcast. I'm Doug Ellen. See ya. Later.